morning, Southbridge. We're glad that you're here today. If you're a guest, I want to give you a special welcome and just invite you out to the First Time Guest Kiosk on your way out today. Um, we've got a gift for you. We want to bless you with that. I'd love to meet you as well, and I'll be out there after the service. I'd love to talk with you. And today's our uh, first ever Group Expo. And by Group Expo, we call it our E-Group Expo because we have, what we have at our church, our small groups, we call them E-Groups based on our three values that all start with E, encounter, embrace, and engage, encountering living God, embracing the one another scripture, and engaging our world for Jesus Christ. And I'll share a little bit more about that with you at the end of the message today. We send you out to the lobby and, uh, Lord willing, get connected with one of our small groups that will help you in your spiritual growth, the one that whatever one connects with you the most at where you're at in your journey with uh, Jesus Christ right now. But I hope you had a great week this week. I don't know um, exactly what it was like for you. Some of you may be on vacation. Others of you may have had to work a bunch. I don't know if you ever had one of those days where it's a really long day. And you're just kind of spent at the end of it. I had one of those on Wednesday this week. I stayed at the office a little bit longer than I had expected and ended up getting home. And my wife had all of our girls down for bed, which she's a saint for doing that. And she had all of our girls down for bed already and went in and kind of tucked them in, gave them kisses. And they had already obviously eaten dinner. So I grabbed my dinner, so, you know, 8.30 at night. And I sat down in front of the TV and turned the TV on. And I didn't want to have any kind of emotional view. I didn't want no investment whatsoever. So I turned on SportsCenter. Okay, I turn on ESPN, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I just want, like, some facts. Like, just tell me some stats or something that happened this day. And in a couple minutes into the show, they pull out one of those documentaries they do. I don't know if you watch SportsCenter at all, but I'll tell you, I- I've watched enough of these to know that what's about to happen is either going to be gut-wrenching or inspiring. And either way, I didn't want anything to do with it, okay? Because at the end of the day, it was just kind of, I didn't want any emotional investment whatsoever. So I grabbed the remote, and I'm, like, getting ready to change the channel. And the narrator of this documentary says this statement that just pulls me in. It was a story about a guy named James Casey. He's an NFL football player. I believe he plays for the Philadelphia Eagles now. And they showed him out in this field all by himself. And he grabs this football and he just throws it as high as he can up in the air. And they show this football spinning. And the narrator says, there are many things that you can do alone. Life is not one of them. And then I was hooked. Like he had me at that point, right? I'm in. And he started to tell this guy's life story. And, you know, the music gets heavy. The minor keys playing. So you're like, oh, something bad's going to happen. You've watched enough movies, right? You know how this happens. And so the minor keys playing. And this guy's telling a story. He's a sophomore in high school. He's just doing a normal sophomore thing, going class to class. And a guidance counselor comes to get him out of his class. And the guidance counselor pulls him on. He said, I don't know if I did something wrong or what happened. But she said, there's been a fire at your house and your mom died. Kind of matter of fact. So tragedy strikes him. And then the documentary starts to go on and talk about a bunch of the difficulty of his life. He was incredibly poor. Talked about how he moved on the same property where the fire had taken place. There was trash all over the place. He was embarrassed to have his friends come out there. He didn't have his girlfriend, who he was dating at the time, come out there until after a year and a half of them dating. He lived in this trailer, had holes in the floor, bathroom barely worked. A reporter, after the story, uh, ended up sharing a little tidbit. Uh, one time, his girlfriend and, his, and her mom took him out to, out to eat at Chili's restaurant, and he hesitated to order. And his girlfriend, Kylie, asked him, so why, why are you not ordering? And he said he'd never been to a restaurant before, and he didn't know how to use a menu. He continues to go on and talk about how poor he was and how difficult circumstances were. And you hear all these different struggles that he went through. But then the music picks up, and they start to talk about this small town in Texas that really kind of took him in, sponsored him, took care of him, raised money. They bought him cleats so he could play sports. They bought him clothes. He ended up graduating from high school with honors. Ended up going to college, went to Rice University, graduated in six semesters with three different degrees, played on the football team, played like every position on the football team at one time, and then made it to the NFL. And they do the story, and they start asking him questions. He said, you know, sometimes you just need help. You need other people. Here's a guy that's got incredible intelligence, he's got physical abilities, he's got talents, but even he realizes you need other people. What that narrator said is true. There are things you can do alone, 
but life is not one of them. Now, I wasn't told from a biblical perspective. This wasn't a Christian documentary, but it's a biblical truth. Life was not meant to be lived alone. You see it through the Bible. You see at the very beginning of the Bible. Think about creation account. God creates and it's good. He creates and let there be light and then it's good. He saw the light and it was good. Creates that, you know, separates the land. It's good. The creatures, wild animals, livestock, birds in the air, fish in the sea, vegetation, all that stuff. Every time he creates it, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates man, crown jewel of creation. It's made his own, own image. It's good. And then you see in the account, it's not good. And that's going to make you stop because there's this pattern. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then you see it's not good. What's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. See, it's true. It's not possible to live life alone. It's one thing you can't do alone. But I'm going to go a little bit further than that statement and tell you that the Christian life, it's impossible for you to successfully live the Christian life even with acquaintances, even in a large group room like we're in today. Even with knowing a lot of people. There's too many one another commands in Scripture that you can't do at a surface level. Praying for one another, caring for one another, loving one another, confronting sin of one another, uh, sharpening one another. You go through all the one another's in Scripture, and they just can't happen on a surface level. And so today is our group expo day. And I'll tell you, my desire for you as a church, our whole body, I pray that everybody here would leave connected to one of our small groups. Every person. If you're already in a group, I hope that today's message will be encouraging to you to spur you on to continue to do one of the things that God says he uses to help you grow in your faith. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage of scripture that we read over a little bit last week. It's Acts chapter 13. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 42 and 43. And what we're talking about is continuing in God's grace. Continuing in God's grace. It's something you cannot do alone. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 13, I'll start reading in verse 42. For those of you who haven't been with us, let me tell you what's been going on here in Acts chapter 13. The apostle Paul's been preaching a message at the synagogue. And the message he's been preaching, the point he's been making, is God's vision for his people, his people as a whole. That God had a vision for you, for me, for our church, for every church in the city, for every church in China, for every church that exists around the world. He's had that vision since before the creation of the world. And that vision was that we would be reconciled to him. So he knew there was going to be sin, and he knew he was going to have to, by his grace, send his son, Jesus Christ, to bring us into relationship with him. That vision, talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 4, talks about how we're adopted into his family, talks about how even though we're not holy and we're not blameless, he sees us as holy and blameless because of his love that he sent through his son, Jesus Christ, that we would get access to every spiritual blessing that would be a son or daughter in a royal family, son or daughter of the king. And that all happens by grace because you're forgiven. Not only are you forgiven, you're made right. That's a whole nother level. Not only are you forgiven, but the things you did that were wrong are justified, are made right by God when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a message of grace. But remember, Paul ended that message in verses 40 and 41 with a warning. And the warning was, while that vision is beyond what you would ever be able to ask or imagine, the judgment's beyond what you'd ever be able to imagine too. And he gives that warning, and then people want to know more. The people that respond to Jesus Christ, they want more. Verses 42 and 43. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Come back. We want to hear that message again. Verse 43. Some wouldn't wait till the next week. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and the devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them And then here's the phrase that we're going to spend most of our time on today. And urge them to continue in the grace of God. What we're talking about today is continuing in the grace of God. 
We see here you've got this group of people. They are the ones that heard the message of grace. Apparently, these are the ones that responded appropriately. This message has surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And what Paul's doing now is he's urging them to continue in the grace of God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it mean to continue in the grace of God? And you look at the passage, and, and if you brought your Bible or you've got an iPad that has the scriptures on it or a phone or whatever, you can look at the verses around there. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, doesn't really tell us in this passage. And so we have to do a little bit of Bible study. We're going to ask ourselves the question, where else in the book of Acts in this context could this question have been answered? And if you go back a couple chapters, and if you have your Bible, you can, to Acts chapter 11, we see very similar language used in a very similar situation. What's going on in Acts chapter 11, I'll just tell you the context, is that the church of Jerusalem, which is the original church, hears that there are other people that are hearing this message of grace about a relationship with Jesus. They're in Antioch. And they're responding to the message. And the church in Jerusalem wants to find out, are they legit? And so the church in Jerusalem sends out a guy, his name's Barnabas, who's also in our text here in Acts chapter 13. And they send him to see, is this really what's happening? Is this like legitimate conversions? Are these people real? What's happening here? And look at what Luke says in Acts chapter 13, verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, news of this, people being uh, changed, lives being transformed. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God. That means changed lives. He was glad. And then this is what he did, the very same thing that we see Paul and Barnabas doing here in Acts chapter 13. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And so we ask the question, what does that mean to continue in the grace of God? It means this, to remain true to God with all of our hearts. Some of your translations will say devoted to Christ. Uh, fully committed to Christ is the idea. So he's encouraging them to continue on doing that, to remain in Acts chapter 11, to continue in Acts chapter 13. And the grace of God, and they've seen the grace of God in Acts chapter 11, and what he's talking about here is the devotion of our hearts. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 8. He's speaking to some Jews that place their faith in him. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold, continue, if you hold in my teaching, you're really my disciples. So anybody can say they make a decision, but we'll know by the way that you continue, by your perseverance, by your fruit. In fact, Jesus uses another analogy in John chapter 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me, those who abide in me, those are the ones that are going to bear fruit. Those are the ones that will continue in God's grace. Or it's like we, we talked about last week. For those of you here last week, we did this uh, illustration where I had a couple people come up front. So thank you if you came up front. Thank you, David. You were in this service, came up front. Held a basket to represent who the average churchgoer was. And I put things in the basket to represent what it is that re- is oftentimes in our lives and how a lot of times what we do is we try to manipulate the things that are in our life. And so we try to take out stuff that we think that God wouldn't want in there and we try to put stuff in that God would want in there. And there was this continual discontentment as we try to manage and we try to manufacture what's going to take place. But what God really wants is total surrender. Remember, I took the backs and I flipped it upside down. Like it's all his. And some of you, maybe some of you did that last week. Some of you have done that before. Maybe some of you did it 20 years ago. That's awesome. And it's great. And I've done that before. You fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's an incredible experience. And it's great. But then there's the next day. And the next week. And the next month. And for all of you who've done that, you know experientially what happens is that a lot of times there's kind of like a slow fade from that total surrender to other things start to creep into the throne of your life, the spot of kingship, what becomes supreme, what becomes ultimate. You decide what phrase you want to use. Sometimes it's good stuff. It's like family or work or different things. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's, but it's not Jesus. Those other things drive our lives. That's why Jesus, when he was telling people to follow him in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, he says, if anyone is going to come follow me, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, 
daily. It's continual. You've got to do it every day. Every day, deny yourself. It's easy to not do that. And here's a sad reality. Some of you that are here today, we'll meet each other and shake hands and be friendly and it'll be wonderful. You won't be here in 12 months or in 24 months. Pick the time frame. I've been pastoring here at this church for about seven years now. And uh, one thing I've learned experientially is there are people that I will see today that will not be here in 12 months or in 24 months. Now, some people, that's natural. Some people are just visiting, maybe out of town, popping in. Some people, um, you move away. That's natural. Uh, we, had, we looked at over the, from 2011, 2013, uh, we've seen about 200 different people that have been part of our church that have then moved away to, you know, whether it's Virginia, California, different parts of town, wherever it is, they've moved to other areas. And to our knowledge, most of those people are connected to other solid churches. That's normal. That's great. Um, we know that there are people that will come. They're on the quest for the perfect church, and we're a pit stop. And so we know that in six months or 12 months, they're not going to be here to... Um, that's, that just happens. But the sad reality is there are people here that they're going to fade away. And sometimes it's not like shake your fist at God. And I'm mad. Some people it's, you know, baseball took over our time or soccer or whatever, pick a hobby. Kind of started doing that and we just stopped going. It sort of became less frequent and then less frequent and you kind of faded away. Other people sin. They'll go back to their sin. They were excited about Jesus for a minute, but then there's that old way that they want to go back to. There's some people... Uh, they don't realize their marriage is going to fall apart in a couple weeks, and so it does, and then they, they feel embarrassed, or for whatever reason, they stop coming to church and being around the very people they need to be around. And there's other people that, there's various reasons. Start dating a non-believer, we've seen this one, and you still want to be there, but then there's this tension, and so you just kind of fade away. And it's to those people that Paul's saying, I'm urging you to continue. I'm urging you to continue, which is interesting language if you go to that phrase. You can underline the word urge. It also could be translated like it is in the King James, persuade. He's persuading them. It's in the imperative tense, which means that he's continuing to do this. In multiple different ways, he's repeatedly urging, persuading them. But what's really interesting about that word is what he's persuading them towards, the grace of God. This isn't like persuading someone to do something they don't want to do. You know, eat your veggies, kids. Exercise more. Floss your teeth. Do any of you feel bad like me? Like I go to the dentist, I floss my teeth like the day before, and then uh, my gums are bleeding, and then I go there, and they tell me to floss, and I floss for like three or four days after, and then it's like, oh man, I've got to go to the dentist again. And uh, you, know, like you need to be your arm twisted to do this kind of thing. It's not like that. This is grace. This is something they already want. These are the people that in verse 42 are saying, will you come back and tell us that message again? And then they're taking their own time to follow Paul and Barnabas around because they want to know more now. Not just, we're not waiting till next week. We want to, and it's grace. Think about grace. We talk about grace all the time in our church. It's by grace you are saved through faith. You don't deserve it. You're given a gift. It's grace that caused the Father to send the Son to this earth. It's grace that's this amazing thing that we sing about. We're talking about grace here. It's like when you want, it's like being encouraged to do something you want to do. It's like a couple weeks ago, or it was last Friday. Last Friday we had a group of people over at our house um, that were leaders for the CFR event, uh, civilian first responders, a human trafficking thing that was happening. We had about 20-some people over our house, and we were going to try and encourage them, bless them before the event. My wife made dinner for them, and she decided to make her ribs, which I've talked about her ribs in a message before. And uh, one of the guys there, because her ribs are good, that's why. Like the meat fall off the bone, sauce is boss, is good stuff. And so talking about the ribs in the, in the message, and one of the guys was there, and he said, are these the ribs that you talked about in a sermon? I was like, yeah, those are the ribs. Now, there was pressure on my wife at this moment because this guy is a meat connoisseur. And some of you are like connoisseurs of other things. This guy's a meat, he's the kind of guy that cook his own pig, okay? He knows meat. And so I'm thinking, oh, I hope he really likes this. And so he goes out and he sits out on the table on our back deck to eat this meal. And I saw him come back in. I knew he liked it when I saw him come back in for seconds. 
I was confident he liked it when I saw him come back for thirds. When he was in for thirds, I ended up saying to him, uh, you should really try this gooey butter cake for dessert. It's good too. He said, no, I'm not really a gooey butter cake kind of guy. I said, well, why don't you have some more ribs for dessert? He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. I think he came for four. So you have to tell me after the service. I'm pretty sure he came for four on, on the ribs. I'm encouraging him to do something he already wants to do. That's what Paul's doing here in this passage. He's not twisting their arms or forcing them to God's grace. He's telling them this is something you want, something you hunger for. Your soul desires this. There's a void in each one of our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's eternity God's place there. Only God can fill that void. Our hearts are restless so they find rest in him, Augustine said. We want him. And so what Paul's doing is he's encouraging them towards the very thing that they want. Why would you have to do this? Do you know why? The reason why you have to do this is the same thing for all of us. It's the same as when you start to allow something else to slide into the throne of your life. It's the same as when something else becomes king. These people are coming from a Judaism that was very rules-based. They've lived their whole life being told, if you really want to be a good Jew, five rules, three principles, ten keys. Here's the answer. Do these things. And then they don't do it, and they come back and get told more stuff. It's all about rules. And so they're then told about a relationship based on grace. How easy to slide back into the rules. So you need that continual encouragement. Or, like many of us, it's, materialism seems more appealing once you're not listening to the truth. Or, or all of a sudden, that selfishness or pride or some other thing starts to drive your decisions, your ambitions, and you're not living by grace. He's challenging them to continue, and grace is something we all need. And so the question becomes, when you get to this text, how? How do you continue in God's grace? He doesn't say all the things that Paul said to urge them to do this. So we then got to ask ourselves the question, what do we see throughout Scripture? And what we see throughout Scripture, you look specifically even at the life of Jesus and what God used through Jesus in different people's lives to change them, there are three primary things. And there also are three values as a church, by the way. As when people would have an encounter with Jesus Christ, they'd be transformed. When they'd realize who he is, like when Peter in the boat, when he realizes this, this amazing catch, and he says, you're Lord, and he submits to him. Or you see people living life together, our embrace value, like the 12 disciples do with one another, with Jesus. Or when they're engaging the world for Christ. See, Jesus even uses that to disciple the people that are doing the engaging. When he sends them out two by two, 72 of them, to go and engage the world. And then they come back and they report. And then he does more ministry. Or in the Great Commission, when he sends this all out. And so you see these three things are the things that God's using in the maturation process, in the developing process, in the growth process, discipleship process, whatever you want to say. And there are three values. And so what we do as a church is we've got three different types of small groups that we do. Encounter groups, embrace groups, and engage groups. And why do we do that in small groups? Well, there are things that can happen in a small group that don't happen in a large group. But there's also things that can happen in a large group that don't happen in a small group. See, some people try to say one's better than the other. Really, you want strong is you go with both. So you can't have the kind of worship we just had in a small group. The corporate worship, people gathering together and singing the way that we were singing. You don't have one voice communicating a vision that's going to be bigger than your small group to all the whole church when you're in a small group. There's things that happen in a large group that don't happen in a small group. There's also things that happen in a small group that can't happen in a large group. Some of the commands we're given in Scripture, you just don't do that in a big room with a bunch of people. You don't carry one another's burdens the same way as you do in a small group. You don't sharpen one another. You, you don't confront sin the same way. It's unique in the, in the small group. And so we have these three different small groups. The first kind of small group is called an encounter small group. An encounter small group is based on our idea of encountering the living God where we see him for who he accurately is, for who he portrays himself as, as holy and righteous and just and kind and gracious and merciful and all the characteristics of God. 
And then we respond appropriately to that. We see it throughout scripture. You see it with Moses. Every time God's going to use Moses in some significant way, you get the burning bush, mountaintop experience, put him in a cleft of a mountain. He has this encounter with God, and then God sends him out. You see it with uh, Peter, I already mentioned, in the boat. You've got Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He sees the Lord seated on his throne. Then he says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He repents. And you see it in John, or John the Apostle in the book of Revelation. He turns around and sees the resurrected Christ. And he falls down as though dead. Because we see who God is. And then we respond appropriately. Sometimes it's repentance. Sometimes it's humility. Sometimes it's obedience. Sometimes it's worship. Sometimes like Peter in the boat, it's, it's surrender. So that's what we want to see happen in an encounter group. So how do you encounter God? Well, we know in the New Testament, the primary way that we see it happen, it's not the only way, but the primary way we see it happen is through the scriptures. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Through the word. And so we do in our encounter groups, there are groups based on studying the scriptures. We don't call them Bible study. Here's why. Because the response is key. We don't want you just to go learn more about the Bible. We don't want you just to study the scriptures. People oftentimes say, I need to get fed. (laughs) You know what happens if you eat all the time, you don't do anything? You get fat. And so we're saying we want to take in the scriptures and then do something with that. We should respond, whether that's worship, whether that's obedience, whether that's service, whether that's repentance, whatever it is. We come to the scriptures, we should respond. And we've got different um, encounter groups. If you've got one of these pamphlets on your way in, our our program for this morning, actually, if you open it up on the right side, you'll see all the different groups that are listed that are uh, we're going to be represented out in the hallway when you get dismissed here in just a moment to go and get connected with these. The first six are all encounter groups, the way that those are listed on there. And you'll see they're, they're study-oriented groups. There's a Bethmore Women's Study, um, Crown Ministries, Biblical Financial Study, um, different people leading these, Lily Grimmies leading the, the Bethmore Studies, a, a gal that's been part of our church, loves Jesus, godly woman. Um, Crown Ministries, you know, talking about biblical finances. I'll tell you, there were only eight spots left in that one, and first service got first dibs. So I don't even know if there's any spots left in that one, but if you're interested in that one, I'd go right to the table for that one. Uh, Becoming a Woman of Strength, led by Asun Matthews, a godly woman in our church, a prayer warrior. It's in Durham. Um, I'll tell you, Asun's the kind of woman that I'll ask you. Like when I was going to Ecuador, I said, Asun, will you pray for me? Like I, I know she does battle with the Lord, the kind of woman that you'd want to invest in your life. The post-abortive study there, the art of marriage, it's a four to six week group that's going to be meeting together. See, the encounter groups, uh, they last for a season. They're short term, they're not long term groups. Four to six weeks for this one, um, taught by the Altmans, a godly couple that loves Jesus. Foundations, that's one we'd like everybody to go through. That's a little bit longer one. That lasts for a couple months. And that covers all kinds of different topics. And it's on Sunday morning. Child care is provided. It happens uh, right here in the theater. Um, Not in this theater, but down the hall. Um, and it's led by Mike Joelli. There are different elders, different people that have taught in there. Jason Tovey, our shepherding pastor, has taught in there on prayer. I taught one last, last time on how to share your faith, do, how to study the Bible, um, different spiritual disciplines in there, what your spiritual gifts are, different topics each week. And if you're interested in that, you can go to the foundations table for that. So those are our encounter groups. We also have our embrace groups. Embrace groups are our small groups that meet together uh, specifically kind of based on Acts chapter 2. What you see in Acts chapter 2 is Peter preaches a message, 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then they wait till the next week for Peter to preach another message. <laughs> no, they don't, by the way. That's a little bad Bible humor. But um, <clears throat> what happens is, then they go to start meeting in homes, and they pray together, and they care for one another, and then they study the scriptures, the, uh, the apostles' teaching. All of our embrace groups are based on our sermons, and so they study our sermons, and they talk about life change. They talk about how different people's lives are being changed. You see in Acts chapter 2, they saw the miracles that were taking place. And so that's what we do. We get together in people's homes about once a week, and they pray together, and they care for one another. That's our primary way of caring for each other is our embrace groups. You know, every once in a while we'll get a call at the office, something bad happened in somebody's life, 
And the first question always, doesn't matter who answered the phone, what group are they in? And when I say they're not in a group, it hurts our hearts. Because we know, I mean, not that the pastor's not going to come or something like that, it's not going to happen, but we know you're not going to get the care that you could have received from the body of Christ. And we know we hear that from our church on a regular basis. I got a whole bunch of testimonies. I might have time to read them to you. But we got people on here that I was going to share with you that had unexpectedly lost a baby and talk about people caring for them, being there for them, coming to visit them, phone calls. Uh, people on, here's one, uh, one couple. They had a baby 11 and a half weeks early. They said they had to leave church right from church that morning. And so a couple other couples from church took their kids for them back to the house until the grandparents could come and arrive. And then when the grandparents arrived, then they showed up at the hospital to be there for them, walk through that transition time, a difficult time um, of their baby being in intensive care, text messages, phone calls. Um, some people, here's one that's interesting one. This, this person shared, I have to be honest, I usually don't want to go to my embrace group. <laughs> that's great, candid. Um, not because of the group, uh, but because I am usually completely burned out by the end of the day. But without a doubt, I never regret going. I love my group. I love the girls. I love how we can share and encourage each other. We oftentimes send out texts daily just to encourage each other. It's been great. Another person shared a testimony about how they ended up taking their kids to group because a lot of times people say, I don't know what I'm going to do with all my kids. Their kids go to group. And they said that their kids will be upset when they miss it because of a scheduling conflict or something. And then the dad who shared the testimony said, I love it that our kids are the ones who are actually experiencing the one another to Scripture. This is where we care for one another. This is where we love one another. It's where we pray together. And some people say, well, I've got relationships. Listen, I've got Christian friends. I've got people, I work with people that love Jesus, by the way, the other pastors here. But uh, I've got Christian friends. There's something different about getting together in a group where you're specifically going to talk about how you're doing spiritually than there is with, you know, playing basketball, watching a game, having some ribs together, whatever situation. Where you're specifically going to pray together, you're going to talk about your spiritual growth, you're going to talk about where you're at, you're going to talk about the teaching that you're having together. And you know what happens in those times? God brings different people with different perspectives Think about a New Testament small group. Can you imagine Peter decides to lead one of those groups in Acts chapter 2 and say there's different characters just from the Gospel of John that come to the group. Say there's Nicodemus, the religious leader who comes to Jesus at night and uh, we believe probably converted to Jesus. There's the woman caught in adultery. It's here in John chapter 8 and the Gospel of John. Maybe uh, Lazarus is there, who Jesus raises from the dead in John chapter 11. There's a unique perspective on life, by the way. And so you say these, say these characters are all there, and then Jesus preaches a sermon, um, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. One message, the whole congregation gets it. And, you know, Peter, he knows the word, and so he, he's, he could lead this whole group and talk the whole time, but he comes in and he starts the group off, and he says, I'm going to tell you about a time when I was out fishing, and we didn't catch anything. And he talks about God's provision, but then the woman caught in adultery says, I want to talk about the condemnation and shame I was experiencing before I came to know Jesus. See, it was different for her. And, and then maybe Nicodemus, you know, he talks about the Aramaic or something at the very beginning because he's a religious leader. But then he says, let me tell you what it was like to live in a religious system that was based on rules and then to realize what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lazarus just has a unique experience there. So he shares his, his story. Everybody's got a different perspective. I was telling my wife this morning, about our group, the group that I'm involved in. I've been involved in a brace group since, that type of group, since our church started. And uh, one of the things I love about them is that different people come with different perspectives. There's one woman in our group specifically, she's been, lived a little bit more life than the rest of us have, but she's got a different way of looking at things. And every time she shares, she sees the scripture different than me. So I don't go there because I need to hear the message again, okay? I hear it twice every week. I, I don't need that. But when I hear it, sometimes I'll say to her, I'll say, I wish you had shared that with me before I preached. Like, uh, you, you have a different way of looking at things. And so I, you know why I'm in group? I'm in group, not because it's easy. And we got, you know, child care issues. We've got four kids. That's hard. I don't just have an extra night to burn, and I don't need more friends. 
My goal is not to meet everybody in our church and get to know everybody in our church. Our church is just too big for that. I go because it benefits me and my own spiritual journey. Because where else? Let me ask you this, guys, men, specifically men. Where do you have men in your life that will confront sin in your life? I don't mean like you confessed it and some of them are talking to you about it. I'm saying they'll call it out and say they see it in you. That's what you experience in these kind of groups, the good ones. Where do you have, you know, when do you, when's the last time, husbands, you had somebody say, when's the last time you prayed with your wife? That's where this kind of thing happens. And so I go, one, for spiritual benefit. You know why I also go? Another reason is because of spiritual impact. Because you get to impact somebody else's life. So there are people in our church, you've been in groups before, maybe you're not in a group right now, and you think, well, I don't need that. Because I've got friends, I know people, I know people that love Jesus, totally understand that. What if that group needs you? And some of those people that in 12 months aren't going to be here, God wants to use you as a catalyst in their life to spur them on to continue in God's grace. So you get to have an impact in people's lives in a small group unlike you get to have in this large group setting. Unlike I, I even get to have in this large group setting. See, I preach the word, and I know sometimes somebody will say to me on the way out, like, are you reading my email? You know, are you reading my mail? I'm not a freak, okay? No, I'm not reading your email. I kind of cast out a net, and then the Holy Spirit does this work. He speaks specifically to your hearts. But when you're sitting in the living room, and you're talking to people... You talk about specific stuff. That's different. We've got different groups for you to be involved in. You go back to that sheet. Uh, the next nine groups on there are embrace groups. I won't tell you about each one, but uh, Kneedler, Scania's groups, a new group that's starting. They've got child care um, to begin with. The Toby Embrace group, that's our shepherding pastor. He oversees group. So if you're new to this and you want to know something, he's the expert. Go to his group. <laughs> We have like 30 people signed up there. That'd be awesome. Um, the college embrace group. We've got a college group that's starting. We've never had that before. You're college age. You know somebody that's college age. Um, that's going to be led by our student pastor, uh, Josh Tovey and his wife, and another couple, um, Josh and Jessica Nance. Uh, they, they love Jesus and they love ribs. Okay, that's, that's that couple. And Cullens, Deacles. I won't mention every group. Uh, the Hocksteads are a 50 and over group. The Kivets, they're great at loving people. The Reeves, they know the scripture as well. And then the next kind of groups are engaged groups. I'm just quickly tell you about engaged groups. Engaged groups are the, they're there to engage our world for Jesus Christ. You know the scriptures. You've got biblical community. You've got people living out the one another's already. Here's what we want you to do. Take that to our city. Show them Jesus Christ in tangible ways. There's one table for our engaged groups, but there are multiple groups that are listed there. And there's stuff there that you can do that will connect with refugees, the Briar Creek Elementary School, people that are in crisis pregnancy, different situations. And if you don't see one, you can create your own. We want to create these opportunities. In fact, we're going to be doing Southbridge service. You saw in the announcements at the beginning of the service um, in October. And out of that, we're going to launch some six-week engaged groups. And everybody should go to this engaged table, sign up for Southbridge service because that's for our whole church. And if you want to be a part of one of those engaged groups afterwards, then you'll know. Also, you'll see on here, Celebrate Recovery. And one of the great things about Celebrate Recovery is so many of these things are happening in one spot there. People are coming for hurts, habits, hang-ups. They're being embraced. They're living out the one another's scripture. They're being sent out. There are people that desire together to live in freedom with Christ. So I'm going to send you out. Normally we get out about 20 minutes from now as a church. And I'm going to send you out in the lobby right now. And our prayer, our hope, is that everybody would leave connected with a small group. Don't go get your kids, okay? If you have children in child care, there's a teacher in there that's teaching them a lesson. And you get in your child, you're going to disrupt the whole class. So please don't do that. At least wait until 1140, 11.45, if you would, to go get your kids. Some of you already have community with people. You're already in a group. And you're like, what do I do? Well, listen, it's good for you to fellowship, one. Two, why don't you recruit somebody to your group out in the lobby? So I'm in a closed group. I got a great idea. Leave the group. That'll create seats for one or two people. Invite someone to take your seats and you can go find another group. How does that sound? Look at it. Problem solving. You like that? Now here's what we want you to do. Fellowship's good for our church too. So you can just talk to each other out there. But here's the gist of it. It's like that guy at the beginning of the message I was talking about, James Casey. Life's not good to be lived alone. He understood you need help. 
He received help. Somebody gave him cleats. He had coaches that wrote up plays. Here's the deal. He had to go make a play. He had to do something. And so I'll say this to you as a church. As a church, as leadership, we want to provide. We want to make this as simple as we can. We're going to provide the opportunity for you, but you've got to make a play. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be vulnerable. It's going to cost you time. It's going to perhaps cost you money. It's going to, it's going to be difficult, but it's what's best. Life wasn't meant to be lived alone. Let me pray.